This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Millions of Americans lack health care, our wages are static, our jobs are being shipped overseas, our pensions are being cut, and energy is becoming unaffordable. Meanwhile, our government, more concerned about maintaining its corporate sponsorship than protecting its citizens, does nothing about it. In his new book, Hostile Takeover, How Big Business Bought Out Our Government and How We Can Take It Back, David Sirota seeks to open the eyes of ordinary Americans to the fact that corporate interests have undermined democracy, aided and abetted by an allegedly representative government. Sirota is the senior editor at In These Times magazine, a campaign strategist, political operative, and writer. He served as press secretary for Vermont Congressman Bernie Sanders and was a senior strategist for Brian Schweitzer, Montana's first Democratic governor in 16 years. David Sirota, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. How are you doing today? What's it, what's it like there? In the, is it Helena, Montana? Helena, Montana. It's beautiful, uh, finally, after a couple of days of rain. Uh, well, that's, that should feel nice right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, you're in the mountains like that. It's beautiful. It is. It's wonderful out here in the summer. Right. Now, our current government and the, the relationship it has uh, with big business right now, is this the worst, you think, that it's ever been? Well, I wouldn't say it's the worst it's ever been because we've lived through some pretty... Um, pretty depressing eras of money owning our politics. I think that it, it, it is a situation that's unlike any other in that both parties are owned by big money, and that has allowed the system to radically shift. Usually it's been one party owned by big money interests, and now I think we have about one and a quarter or one and a third. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that started with the uh, Democratic Leadership Council? I would say, yeah, over the last about 20, 25 years, we've seen a bigger and more uh, 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 powerful faction of the Democratic Party um, sell out to special interests uh, in a way uh, that has undermined their credibility with voters. Now, now people are going to say, uh, you know, when I think at least some on the, on the, the right are going to say that you're, you don't represent a free market society. Is there any truth to that? Do I not represent a free, a, a, a yeah, free market? Yeah, I mean, that, that you're down on corporations, that, that you want nothing but restrictions on them, any sort of business at all that you're going to tie their hands. Is there? Well, I, I don't think we live in a free market. I think okay. we live in a highly regulated uh, protectionist market, uh, and that when people say that we live in a free market and justify policies uh, in, because we're trying to preserve this supposedly free market, uh, I, you know, I, I just think they're being ridiculous because if you look at policy after policy after policy we have a very very regulated market one that's regulated to protect corporate interests but has has very few regulations uh, uh, that protect ordinary citizens so if we have a free market it's only free of those policies that protect ordinary citizens but it is chock full of restrictions uh, to protect corporate profits and it's also chock full of subsidies isn't it for, for well, yeah, that, that's that's one of the that's one of them. Uh, uh, that that's one of the areas where we see this free market distorted. I mean, another area that we see it um, uh, is on um, uh, in our trade policy. You know, this is sold to us as as quote unquote free trade. 
Well, our free trade deals are thousands of pages long, filled with restrictions for things like copyright and patent protection that keep, for instance, drug prices high. So we're told that we uh, we have to allow free trade to let uh, beef into this country during a mad cow crisis from other countries. Yet we continue to be told that Americans aren't allowed to import cheaper, lower-priced, FDA-approved prescription drugs from Canada. Mm-hmm. So we're basically uh, allowed to bring in things that could make us sick because those, those items uh, 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 pad the bottom line of a very powerful corporate interest, in this case the meatpacking industry. But we're not allowed to bring in things that might actually um, uh, lower the price uh, of drugs for consumers. And that's because pr- that protectionist policy protects the pharmaceutical industry. So we do not live in a free market. We live in a highly regulated market. And what my book advocates for is shifting the focus of regulations from exclusively on protecting profits to a little bit more uh, protecting the citizens who are supposed to be represented by their government. I want to go back just just for a minute and talk about, we were saying there have been periods in our history where we've been more corrupt and and our our government's been more compromised than it is now. Were you you talking, I I guess I would go back to the uh, turn of the century, turn of the last century, when uh, the the monopolies uh, until I guess Teddy Roosevelt came in and broke them up, but they were, it was worse at that time because big business really did run the government. Uh, I, I again, I would say that I'm not sure it was um, I'm not sure it was worse, probably because I didn't live back then. Right. Uh, it certainly was pretty bad. But um, I, I think that 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 back then it it may have been um, more a bit more brazen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that it was sort of completely acceptable yeah. uh, to have, you know, uh, but, but, but I would say that it's more subversive today right. that we purport to live in this wonderful representative democracy, whereas before I don't think people really thought we did. But we hear every day we live in the, in the greatest democracy in the world, and yet we have a government that, that repeatedly every day is not representing uh, its citizens. Right. Well, I just, the point I was trying to get to, and sort of a little bit afield from what we're talking about, and that is that at the time that that was going on back at the the turn of the last century was a time when the United States didn't exert so much influence in the world, and today we do. And so, therefore, the consequences of a co- sort of this corporate, uh, corporate uh, government is much more... Uh, um, potentially damaging to the rest oh, of the world. Absolutely, and there's a section in my book, for instance, that, that highlights exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, there was a section in my book where I talk about trade policy, and I talk about how the, the Bush administration is run around saying that, that quote-unquote, free trade policy and free trade deals are good for the impoverished people in the world, uh, and specifically in Latin America. He was saying this and pushing a new uh, NAFTA for the entire region. At the same time, his administration was employing previously negotiated uh, free trade provisions to force Brazil and other developing countries to keep uh, AIDS drug prices high because of patents. So we Mm -hmm. were exerting and using our huge international power to actually go to bat for uh, pharmaceutical companies while, you know, diseases are plaguing the developing world. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, let, let's just, for the sake of argument, let's get into this a little bit. Is there, is it a conscious decision on the part of business to um, to exert this kind of influence, or is it just a, a matter that since politics is now driven so much by money, 
and they have the money, that therefore it's that's the consequence of having a, a political system that is so reliant on on money. Or is there an actual is there some kind of philosophical perspective that big business is coming from that you could argue with or against? Uh, you know, I think I, I, I don't blame business. I, I yeah. mean, I think that. It is a deliberate decision, but it's an investment strategy right. for, uh, for for big business. They they the, the business is is set up to make as much money as possible uh, without regard for the consequences, uh, uh, the social consequences of that. That that we can't we can't blame corporations on. That's what they're set up to do. Right. The the issue is uh, we have a system, a government that that allows this to happen that doesn't exert itself as a an objective referee protecting ordinary citizens from uh, uh the profit motive running roughshod over the rest of society that's the the problem that's the hostile takeover you know and this is an, a, a point that i I've, I've argued many times with uh, my libertarian friends which you know they're always arguing against the government and the rest of it and i and my 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 response is that the the value of government is that it's accountable it's accountable to the people who elect those people into government and with a corporation or a big business there is no there's no mechanism for accountability they do what they do they have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize profit and as you said not for the pro- public good but it's for their own good that they're out to to uh, enhance and yet we have a government now that is seemingly unaccountable for anything it's really exacerbated this problem hasn't it it, it absolutely has, and, and the, the establishment in the government has worked to make this, this worse. I mean, my book puts, you know, names names and, yeah. and puts a lot of blame in a lot of places, and I, I, I learned, uh, you know, where the, the worst forms of corruption were happening when I worked on Capitol Hill, and I would say that, you know, for every courageous person fighting the hostile takeover in government, uh, there are ten fighting for the hostile takeover. It's because the system itself is rigged. A system that forces people who want to run for office to raise huge amounts of money from private interests naturally selects for political leaders who will represent those special interests and not ordinary citizens. Let's remind our listeners that we're speaking with David Sirota, and his book is Hostile Takeover, How Big Money and Corruption Conquered Our Government and How We Can Take It Back. Let's um, you now. You you have a background in political consulting, political campaigning, um, and it does seem I, myself and Nathan have some background in that also. It does seem that in the last fifteen years, about the time that that uh, Clinton ran for president, that it seems to ex- accelerated the the amounts of money that you need, and it came at a at a point when I think business recognized that this was a small investment given the return that they could they could possibly see on the other side. Once these people were in power, but it does you're, seem like you're the... absolutely right. It is a small investment. At the beginning of my book, right. I note that, um, uh, as one example, in 2004, the Ohio business leaders who gave President Bush 1.4 million dollars were subsequently rewarded with more than three billion dollars in taxpayer contracts, including many from no bid contracts. So right. this is a an investment strategy, uh, right. and and no matter how expensive campaigns get, uh, they will not sort of uh, uh, remove that investment uh, uh, interest or that investment strategy because the rewards from that investment can be just so astronomically large. I think you can look at the vice president and his company and see that as a 
as a one prime example. Prime example of what will happen. And you and you, what do you expect? We have two oilmen running the country right now, so it, it's not too uh, surprising to see that oil profits are at record levels. So right. I think, and, and and but I would say that it goes even it it goes even worse. Where where the corruption, the most devious and nefarious form of corruption, comes is in the is in the public denial that yeah. anything is wrong. Yeah. So we see last week the Federal Trade Commission was deployed to issue a report saying that there isn't price gouging going on. Yeah. So you have, you know, skyrocketing gas prices. Mm-hmm. ExxonMobil made the most of any corporation in, in the history of corporations last quarter. Uh, they paid their CEO a $400 million retirement package. And the FTC, the, the government agency that's supposed to be protecting our interests, issues a report claiming nothing's wrong. Of course, what we don't hear and we, we're, what the media doesn't remind us is that two years ago, President Bush appointed uh, Chevron Texaco's lawyer to head the, the Federal Trade Commission. So the propaganda of corruption is really um, the most nefarious point because it, it is using the government to create a narrative justification and storyline to make us try to believe that nothing is wrong. Yeah. This is a uh, a PR firm masquerading as a government, isn't it, in so many ways? No, well, that's exactly right. And the PR, as I argue in the book, is actually the most dangerous part of corruption because it, because it disconnects people from their political debate. We can't even, in this, ca- in this country, have a legitimate, serious, front-and-center debate about the issues because the debate itself is rigged. Yeah. You're you're off. You're operating on a false premise. Is really what we're doing is in a debate, and you can't win a, a false premise. That's right. And what I say in the book is that that's the wor- that's the worst form of corruption yeah. because what big business and and its political cronies have figured out is that you don't have to bribe people, you don't have to buy votes, and you don't have to break the law if you make sure that the political debate in this country. Uh, ensures one or another outcomes that only serve big money interests. That's why on energy, for instance, the debate has largely been won uh, about which tax breaks to give to which oil companies. Mm -hmm. Any policies that actually would challenge the oil companies that run Congress, a windfall profits tax, better FTC enforcement, better antitrust enforcement, a federal price gouging law, those proposals are not talked about. They are ruled out of legitimate political debate, even though, I should say, polls consistently show that the vast majority of Americans want Congress to consider those proposals. And, there, by the way, I want to once again remind our listeners, we're speaking with David Sirota and his, his book, Hostile Takeover. I'm going to throw out one more insidious theory here, and that is that these are these a lot of these Republicans, and it's Democrats also, but primarily at this point it's Republicans, were elected as anti-government activists, people who were opposed to the the extension and growth of big big government, and th- by by conducting themselves the way that they do, uh, by being a part of this corrupt system, they people are frustrated with increasingly frustrated with government, saying it it doesn't um, it's not reacting to our needs and to our desires. And in a perverse way, they're absolutely right. It's continuing to degrade the value of government at a time when people should be more actively involved in making government accountable. It's in fact, they're, they're correct to say that the government is in fact ineffective. And it is. Well, and, and, and that's absolutely right. And I would say that the, that the underlying motive of conservatives, 
in, in attacking government is not to actually lessen the power of or the scope of government, but to make people, uh, ordinary citizens, feel so cynical yeah. and so um, helpless that they disconnect. Uh, you know, powerful interests rely on Americans not being engaged in their government. Uh, the less engaged ordinary citizens are, the more power fewer and fewer people have over the direction of this country. And so, so all of the anti-government rhetoric, while it doesn't clearly, clearly doesn't uh, 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 remain consistent with the policies being pushed by these anti-government zealots, it does serve their 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 goals. Yeah. Well, now that we've uh, taken the, taken our audience on on a ride down the hill, let's try to let's try to ride back up this hill a little bit, because part of your book is is explaining how we can begin to take our government back. So why don't we start to talk about some of some of the things you would propose? You know, I I just uh, was curious about how how to to uh, remedy the the propaganda machine. At, at what point do you uh, where where would we go after that? Yeah. Is it with with big media that we want to uh, Go after, or is is it because of them just being lazy? Is it is there something uh, in the legislature we can do as far as that goes? What would you recommend? Well, I, I actually don't think that we need to do much of anything other than um, than better educate uh, the public. And I know that sort of relies on the media. But what I would say is this: is that is that the public, I think, is more aware than ever that something is seriously wrong. Uh, and so the reason I wrote my book was to give people uh, a chance to see exactly how what they know is wrong plays out on a daily basis on individual issues. So, yes, I think that we need uh, uh, better media ownership rules in this country. Yes, I think we need to, in, in, to continue to build uh, uh, grassroots media, uh, local media, uh, through the Internet and through other channels. But I would say that I think we're really on the precipice here. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that people are already convinced something's wrong. The, the real issue is how do we take that and actually channel it into political uh, uh, reform now? And um, I have a whole chapter on this. And the one, the w a couple things I, I suggest is the first and foremost thing is I think we need to focus far more locally, that the media it lets us know or, or tries to make us believe that, that our political activism is only worthwhile being spent uh, on anything that deals with the White House and to a lesser extent Congress. Yet the hostile takeover of our government is far less pronounced as you go down the political food chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and that these lower levels of government, state, local, and municipal governments, often affect our daily lives in as profound, if not more profound, a way than national politics. You put 20 people in the room with your state legislator, your city councilman, and you tell them you want them to support a certain policy, they might not change their, their mind, you know, overnight, but they're certainly listening mm -hmm. uh, to citizens far more than, than the senators, congressmen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The second reason we need to focus more locally is because if the hostile takeover of our government's taken, you know, 30, 35 years, then it's going to take a long time to fully take our government back. And we need to understand that today's city councilmen, state legislators, uh, uh, and county commissioners are tomorrow's senators, presidents, you know, governors, congressmen, and what have you. We need to get to these people now and show them that there is a politics uh, that will be rewarded for standing up to us and that their political careers will be cut short if they don't stand up for ordinary citizens. The second thing I would suggest is that we all get behind public financing of elections. Yeah. 
And I know in California there's going to be hopefully a ballot initiative. There's a bill moving through the legislature. We need to give people who want to run for office a way to run for office where they don't have to be specialists in shaking down big money interest for cash and where they don't have that expectation once in office that they must reward the big money interests who funded them into office. David Sirota, I, I, uh, as having worked in the political realm and, uh, and met a, a number of candidates um, as a consultant or a campaign manager, almost your first question to, to anyone considering a run for any kind of office is how much money do you have? Of course. And that's the very first question. Otherwise, that, that, that really sets their, uh, sets their legitimacy up. If, if they don't have any money, then they could be the, you know, the greatest candidate in the, in, the, in, the, in the room, but it doesn't matter because they don't have that kind of... And we definitely... Need, I, I, I'm a, in a full agreement with you. We need public financing. Um, and that's something you're not hearing anything about anymore. There was a period of time about 20 years ago when Jimmy Carter and some others were talking about public financing, but it seems to have sort of completely disappeared off the political radar. It has, and it's been because, in part, I think, because the politicians who have yeah. ascended to power right now have ascended within uh, the current system on yeah. both sides of the aisle. Yeah. You know, leaders of both political parties have ascended to where they are within the corrupt system. And so any challenge to that corrupt system is a potential challenge to, to leaders of both parties, even though supporting such a policy might actually benefit one party over the other mm-hmm. uh, electorally. Uh, so it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny uh, uh, problem, and I think that the only way we're going to get it is through things like ballot initiatives, is through the work of, of, of courageous, extraordinary politicians who are willing to, to take risks, and, and, and through public pressure outside the system. Now, I'm, this is going to... Did you have a follow-up question no, on that? I'm going to jump completely... Uh, off track here and ask what's your take on the uh, Jeff Skilling and Ken Lay uh, guilty charges are. I mean, you think that this at all will will take down uh, corporate? Uh, is it does this, does this with it, the government or is, yeah. is this is this just a uh, a slap on the hand really? And, and that this is going to have no effect at all on what's going on. Well, I see no evidence that this is anything more than an isolated incident, an isolated conviction. Um, you know, new new statistics out from the Justice Department show that that corporate executives uh, uh, who are who are who are brought to trial are getting more and more lenient prosecutions, more and more lenient sentences. The 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 watered down, pathetic laws that were passed after the Enron investigation. Uh, the, now, big business is trying to to weaken and eliminate those. That this is the Sarbanes Oxley law. Uh, so, uh, you know. I'm glad that 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 they were convicted, uh, but I think that we need to look at more systemically at whether our government is serious about cracking down on this kind of behavior. And I think the stats show that 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 we're not there yet. I think you're absolutely right when you say that um, they really uh, this kind of a government is is ho- is dependent upon us not paying attention. The minute that our attention is turned somewhere else, that's when you get these. Uh, these laws, as you said, have been watered down, and, and uh, essentially these toothless versions of of, uh, of legislation. Um, well, what do you see? Do you see uh, the, uh, the, some kind of a trend coming up in the two thousand and six elections, or do you see? How do you see this playing out in the next couple of years? 
Well, I think there's a definitely a, a battle for the soul of the Democratic Party brewing right now, and I yeah. think it's central to the battle to take our government back uh, as a whole, mm-hmm. to take our country back. Uh, I think I, I'm encouraged. Yeah. I'm encouraged that, that, that people are, are finally starting to voice their concerns with both parties, that the public, uh, uh, thanks to the Abramoff delay, Duke Cunningham scandals, mm-hmm. uh, the public is more aware than ever uh, about how corruption actually affects <clears throat> the public policies that affect people's daily lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, look, I think the 2008 presidential primaries are going to be a major uh, uh, battleground where, where all of this comes to a head. I, I can't predict what's going to happen, but I think that just just the fact that we're, we're squaring up to have this battle is, is real progress. Yeah, we do. We have some organizations within the Democratic Party. I know PDA, public, I'm sorry, progressive Democrats are doing what they can. I know we have some other people involved in that. Those are good things. So, um, well, I want to... Um, I want to thank you very much for being a part of Weekly Signals. Uh, the book is Hostile Takeover, How Big Money, Corruption, and Corruption Conquered Our Government, and How We Can Take It Back. That's the important part. Uh, David Sorota, sorry, David Sorota, thank you very much for being a part of Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.